This is an ABC podcast. Can you be more Pacific? On ABC Radio Australia. And welcome to Can You Be More Pacific? I'm Dean Hallettau, and as always, I'm joined by the awesome Sarah Nengama. Bula Dean and Bula to all of our listeners. Yes, it is fabulous to be back in the studio for another week. We've got a jam-packed show for you. We'll chat to young Wallaby star Mark Nwanganituase. We've got a new question to uncover in You Can Ask That. Plus, we'll be joined by Tongan Rugby CEO Peter Harding. Sarah, it's been a, a good week for myself. What about you? What's, what's happening in your world? You always start with a story. Hit us with something. She's always got a story. Well, I was very fortunate to travel down south to Melbourne uh, to play, and uh, it was our last regular round where the Waratahs took on the Rebels. It was fantastic. We came out on top, minor prems, save your applause for later. Um, but I was able to also commentate the men's game, and it was just such a spectacle of rugby. The Melbourne Rebels, they were up at halftime against the Crusaders, but Rebels number eight, Vailoni Ekoasi, he was destructive on both sides of the ball. He made a huge breakaway, 90-metre try, had everyone in the crowds up and roaring. But one person in particular that was a late ringing for the Crusaders, so late that he literally arrived after the team had come into Australia because both of the hookers had gone down, was Ione Moonanu. He um, came off the bench. He scored a try like this really, a try that he probably had no right to score, gets up, rips his chest open, and everyone's like, what kind of post-try celebration is that? Anyway, I got to chat to the guy after it, and he was like, oh, honestly, I just made it up in the spot. I looked up <laughs> into the stand, and I saw someone with a Superman shirt, so I thought, yeah, that would look cool on TV. <laughs> so um, I thought that was bloody funny, and uh, it was it was a great match, and Rich Mwanga marks his 100th Super Rugby match, so um, a lot to celebrate down in the down in the South. Uh, uh, legend Richie Moonga already. He's such a um, I don't know inspirational player, but everyone loves watching him play. He's got a lot of skill, and uh, yeah, he's he's crushed it for a long time now. Hundred percent. It was crazy because even when the Crusaders were down, he just looked so calm, cool, and collected. I'm like bloody fly halves. <laughs> They're just the coolest blokes Very on the cool. field. Yeah, yeah. What about you? What's been happening? Well, I actually had a, a 40th last weekend, uh, so. It's really telling where you're at in life right now. Especially in my recovery too. I struggled very, very badly the next day. But on the Sunday, I managed to sit back and watch a bit of footy. And the Dolphins, they mounted the greatest comeback or equal greatest comeback uh, we've seen in uh, in recent history. 26 points, they were down to the Titans. And it looked like the Titans were just going to run away with it. They scored these tries very quickly and everyone's going, oh, no. The Dolphins, it's uh, it's finally the time where they start to crumble as a, as a team. But they, they came back so hard and uh, managed to win the game, 28 points to 26. So it was a – I don't know what uh, Wayne Bennett said at halftime. He also acknowledged that he doesn't know what he said. He was asked post-match what the inspirational words were. He couldn't remember them. He goes, I don't know. But he, whatever he said, it worked. Uh, Robert Jennings picked up uh, two tries, almost scored three. Um, I, don't know what he's, I don't know if you've seen any of the replays of Robert Jennings falling over before the try line. There was no Titans players around him. He's running away, trips over himself, and he lands a meter out from the try line and just lays there. And his teammates are yelling at him to get up, and then a Titans player jumps on top of him, and it's a tackle complete changeover. But How long was he on the ground for? Uh, four or five seconds. He was just oh, looking he had around, a lot of time. And, and he literally had uh, a meter before the, the oh try line. Oh, my gosh. It was so bizarre. And he everyone, was tired. Bloke was tired. He already scored two tries. I don't know. He ended up scoring the winning try uh, not not too long later. So always always made right with with Robert. It's crazy to come from behind is is one thing, but to then come out on top 
after being behind is, is pretty, pretty sensational. Win for the ages there for um, for the Dolphins. Now sticking with Rugby League and uh, and also the Dolphins too, Papua New Guinea Hunters players have been invited to train with the Dolphins over the um, next month. Roderick Ty, who's a centre, and Murray Murray, who's fullback. Uh, they've been given the opportunity to train and trial, well, not train and trial, to be in the training um, squad with the Dolphins, which is a huge boost for them. Uh, Roderick Ty has been there before, so he, he got to do that during the preseason, which we made mention of on the show. Um, so he's obviously shown some good form throughout the, the course of the year. I think he's over like 120 running metres per match. Um, he's quite just destructive. Casually. Just casually. Yeah, yeah. Just casually. Um, he's been super impressive, as has their fullback, Murray Murray. He's only 21 years old. He's um, played five games and has also run over 120 running metres per match. Um, and he's having a, a great season. So reward his first time training with the squad. This is hugely exciting for both of these boys, just because being exposed to that environment, it really does force you to step up as well but I guess what it looks like for them throughout the week is that they'll be training with the Dolphins throughout the week but then they'll line up on the weekends with um, the Hunters which will be a huge boost for the team Yeah, taking back lots and lots of experience Now again with Rugby League and the NRLW Origin Series this year has been announced uh, in terms of the venues Sydney and Townsville will host uh, the Sydney venue will be um, Western Sydney Stadium, which is a great facility, uh, heartland of, of Western Sydney in terms of rugby league, and really looking forward. I'm, I'm going to do my best to get out there and play some official role in the game so I can watch it up close. And the second match is going to be up in Townsville, uh, which is obviously a, a brand new shiny stadium as well. I love this. Origin to me is something that I genuinely look forward to, but particularly the women's games. And for the first time ever, it'll also be played as part of a series, which is huge. And to add to all of that, it'll be played on prime time on the Thursday night, which is a huge Huge boost for the game means more eyes on it and also means that the trolls can shut up because people watch girls playing footy. They certainly do. And the dates for those matches, game one is Thursday, the 1st of June. Game two is Thursday, the 22nd of June. So mark that down in the calendars. Staying with the NRLW and some signing news for the Canberra Raiders with Papua New Guinea Orchids players, Uaravu and Elise Smith, both announcing as uh, signatures yesterday or earlier in the week, I should say, which is um, awesome for, for both players. So far in the NRLW, we've seen Elsie Albert and Teresa Aton um, playing, but uh, slowly we're starting to see uh, Papua New Guinea talent uh, make its way into the elite competition here in Australia, and uh, that begins with with both those players. It's a real touching um, story as to how they got recruited because these girls live in regional areas. The Canberra Raiders they ran out, um, sorry, they ran a clinic out in Griffith where both of these girls were part of it for six weeks um, and were recognised that way. And because of it, they've earned their first NRLW contract. So I know sometimes we talk about pathways and it can be a bit dull and boring, but when you hear some stories like this come out of it, you think, heck, that work is not wasted. Yeah, certainly. And and Uruva is actually a um, a game development officer with the NRL, so obviously mm. she has a great passion for rugby league, sharing. Uh, her knowledge with young people out in the in, in rural New South Wales and now gets the opportunity to represent at the elite level, which is awesome. Shifting our attention to a sport that we don't often talk about, but it is the game of golf. And as we know, the Pacific Games is coming up and the Cook Islands have recently appointed a manager for the golf team for the Pacific Games. And that man is Mr. Henry. Ali Napa. So he's hugely, hugely experienced. He has over 30 years um, in the game. He was the club captain of the Rarotonga Golf Club. And they're now in a position where they're starting to scout talent to build a team to take uh, to the Pacific Games. Yeah, this is great. And uh, they're going through selection phases at the moment. So obviously um, looking at local talent, senior players within uh, the ranks and trialing out for a position on uh, the team as a head over to, as you said, it's in uh, the Solomon Islands later in the year, November. Um, 
I love golf, obviously. So um, I'm hoping that UA has a um, a golf squad that I can put my hand up for. Although, I would you really? I wouldn't be able to compete at the world stage. I can barely compete in the local social competition. Uh, what's your handicap? Uh, Seventeen. You know, I always ask that question, but I actually don't even know what it means. It but means, it makes me sound like I'm talking the golf lingo. It means I get 17 shots on a round um, to try and get. Oh, and so the lower way. the handicap, the better player you are. Pro golfers are off zero. Oh, actually, some some golfers are off plus, so they give away shots because they're that good. Oh. Yeah. So anyway, that's great news for um, – <laughs> a bit of a sidetrack there. Great news for Cook Islands and, and their golfing prospects to get some players ready for the, um, the games later in the year. Over now to rugby. Now, a headline that has had a lot of people talking is some news that came out because of a Facebook post. But for context, Fijiana Drua um, have been forced to rely on families in Brisbane to be fed purely because the FRU are facing some cash flow problems and haven't been able to pay their vendors on time. And as a result of it, those restaurants have closed their doors on these players. Now, this is so, so disappointing that this is happening, that these girls are out here in Australia competing at an elite level and are forced away from a basic need, which is food. Yeah, it's it's a really disappointing story. And uh, obviously when, when you participate in uh, big competitions like the Super W and, and Super Rugby Pacific, there's there's surely participation arrangements and funding that comes. And we know that there's, come, uh, there's funding that comes from um, the Australian government um, to, to those uh, organisations. And for the money to be mismanaged to the point where players aren't paid promptly, where they're having to rely on, um, and, and it's it's awesome for these these people that are generous enough to help out local communities and, and families and whatnot that are helping. But um, it's it's so disappointing that the money's not managed in the appropriate way, where this is not planned out, and the players aren't provided everything they need to compete at the best level that they can possibly do. Yeah, well said, Hala. And worth noting, at the time of recording, there are unconfirmed reports that the whole FRU board has been stood down. They had an AGM, which has now been cancelled, and the Prime Minister, Rambuka, is now one of a handful who are administering the FRU in caretaker mode. So that just goes to show that there's obviously problems that are happening behind closed doors. But what really breaks my heart is that these girls are on such a public platform and now the world is in on the stuff that's happening behind closed doors, which to me, that was my first feeling. It was... I've, I feel for them because no one wants their business to be known in such a public way. Um, but I'm, I empathise with the girls. And again, the Waratahs, um, we actually have them this week. And, you know, they were still able to turn up against the Queensland Reds last week, albeit they, they fell short. They were still in it. So no doubt, even though this noise is happening on the outside, they're probably just harnessing all the courage to just stay stay put because they're the, the crunch time of the, the competition right now. Yeah, and I, I hope that this doesn't impact them in, in the future for participation in Super, super Rugby uh, next year and beyond because... No doubt it's going to raise a lot of red flags for the governing bodies of, uh, of those competitions. Yes, well, we can only hope so. Ending on a wonderful note, Marika Corombeta has been named the John Eels 2022 medalist. This is the second time that he's actually won it. The first time he was able to receive this acknowledgement was in 2019. He is an outstanding world-class winger. He was actually named amongst the world's best last year. He was a stand-up for the Wallabies, even though he missed out on the spring tour. So although he was missing for the last chunk of the year, his performances throughout the year put him in good stead um, for this recognition. And I just got to say, Rugby Australia have really, really rolled out the results of this. Uh, sorry, the, the winners of this campaign. Um, yeah, just really slow. I don't get the I don't get the thinking behind that. I honestly don't know. I've I've run online campaigns before, and it just makes sense <laughs> that you just do them like you know one every three days or something. I'm yeah. like, I know that Ivania Wong she won Super W Player of the Year, and that was like four weeks ago. 
and then now John Eels is getting named this week. So look, I'm, I'm, it's nothing against you, Marika. We love you and we celebrate you, but. Wait, what's doing? Roll it out a bit especially, faster, yeah? Especially when, like, there's so much rugby that's passed. Oh, my God. Well, like, in so the middle. Far. Everyone's yeah. now talking about Wallabies, and we're still talking about what happened last year. Yeah. But, well done, Marika. He is yes, uh, our guy. a devastating player. I actually got to spend a little bit of time with him at the Tigers. Uh, yes. When he was still playing league. We crossed over. He left, um, I think, midway through the preseason for, for another deal. I think it's when he switched over. Anyway, at training, he would ra- carry the ball back in scrimmage sessions, and I was hoping he would not run at me because he was so hard. And I was getting towards the end. I was getting a bit old. I didn't want to have to do that stuff for training. Yeah, man, he used to him and um, uh, Tungeli. They they used to carry They're the damaging runners so hard. But um, what well America? Talanoa time on. Can you be more Pacific? This week for Talanoa Time, we are very fortunate to be joined by Mark Nwanganitawase. He's of Fijian heritage, represents the New South Wales Waratahs and also made his debut for the Wallabies last season. Mark, welcome to Can You Be More Pacific? Thank you. Thank you for having me. Well, let's just get stuck into it straight away. Now, I just mentioned that you are of your Fijian heritage, but could you talk us a little bit um, about your culture and, and your roots? Yeah, I guess um, obviously my, my father's uh, full Fijian. Um, he comes from uh, Nandronga, which is obviously, a, a, I guess, if not the best uh, rugby <laughs> uh, province in Fiji. Um, <laughs> Give it a rest. <laughs> yeah, sorry, so I don't mean to toot my own horn, but um, <laughs> uh, obviously in, um, I'm on the west side. We come from the west side. Um, I'm from a small village named uh, Nalemba Lemba, um, which is like a, I should say, an hour or maybe an hour and a half drive from um, Singatoka town. Um, it's along the river. Yeah, and obviously my dad um, was playing footy and uh, managed to get picked up over, over by uh, Balmain Tigers back in the days. And that's how he's managed to come over here, over here and he met my mum. So, yeah, there you go. Mark, growing up, uh, obviously growing up here in Australia, but obviously being of uh, Fijian heritage, is it an opportunity for you ever to connect with your Fijian side and um, really explore that? Yes, 100%. Obviously, um, rugby's their, uh, I'd say, their national sport, so mate, they love it. Um, and obviously, you know, I've been fortunate enough to, to be able to play over there um, last year for Australia A, which was pretty cool to have them, uh, you know, everyone come from the village and, and even aunties and uncles I didn't even know I had um, come over as well. So um, it's always special, you know, to be able to do things that um, make family and, and, you know, your loved ones um, happy. And uh, I guess, yeah, it's pretty cool to be able to do it on a stage where a lot of people can, um, you know, watch and, you know, be happy. Speaking of your rugby pathway, we know that you didn't have, I guess, um, inclusion in those elite squads very early on. You you joined the New South Wales Rugby Pathways a little bit later um, in your career. Yes. Um, obviously, everyone has different pathways. And um, my one was obviously not not the usual. Um, you know, quite young. I, I I felt like, oh, I wouldn't say I was hard done by, but I just, you know, things didn't didn't work out the way that, you know, I would have I would have liked or the way it was supposed to. But I guess that's um, how life works. And then I had some opportunities, which I, uh, which I took. And um, I guess I, m- I made the most of them by, you know, working hard and doing the things I needed to do in order to, to get to the places, you know, where I, um, you know, where I am now. 
I love hearing that because often when we like talk about rugby and how boys made it, there is, a, I guess, like a traditional pathway. You played for a GPS school, kind of went through that Aussie schoolboy system. But you are, I guess, hope to a lot of us that like just through hard work and grind and um, I guess seeking opportunities through the pathways, you can make it. And in 2020, you made your Super Rugby Pacific debut. You faced up against the Crusaders where you scored two tries yourself. I guess taking into consideration your journey up until that point, how special was your debut for you and your family? Like even now, like I'm just just thinking about it. Um, to think, um, you know, at the time when I was, you know, then I was just like to think that I'd be running around with, you know, some pretty notable players in the team at the time um, in the Waratahs, and then obviously versing, you know, some All Blacks players. Uh, it's still mind-boggling, uh, if that makes sense. Like. Like only the year before, sorry, only yeah, a year before, two years before that, like I, I was watching, like I'd watched, grown up watching these guys and I'd be watching these guys, you know, every, like every weekend that they were playing. So um, that makes it like really, obviously makes it really, really special. Um, and oh, yeah, for my family, um, you know, to, to see, I guess for them, what special was to see where I came from. You know, it was obviously, like I said, I obviously didn't get picked and did, didn't go, it didn't go this, uh, the way I kind of wanted it, but you know, I guess they um, they could understand um, how how important it was to me or how special it was to me, and um, I guess that made it special for them because you know they could see the hard work that I put in, and you know, and that's and where I got to. So yeah, it's obviously a very special moment for all of us, um, and it's something I'll never forget. Well, the, the special moments continue because a couple of years later you got to make your debut as a Wallaby uh, in 2022 <laughs> against Italy. Um, can you tell us about what that was like to, to don the, the green and gold jersey and, and represent the nation um, on, on the biggest stage in the world? Yeah. Oh, like, yeah, that's just, um, mate, obviously that everyone wants to, wants to get to the top. And um, I guess for us, the Wallabies is the top. So, you know, to think that I've actually played for the Wallabies, um, you know, it's, it's pretty, pretty crazy. Um, I, I like I still remember, you know, waking up and watching these old old spring tours back in the days, um, and not even that, just even going to the games here in you know at a core stadium now or back at the SFS, um, and you know to be able to I don't know make my debut all the way in Europe against Italy was pretty cool. Like obviously my my grandfather's Italian, so um, it was pretty special. Uh, you know, to have because obviously my family uh, came over, so it was pretty special to have them there as well. So, you know, the whole the whole day was um, pretty cool. Um, but something, I guess, something I'll cherish and never forget because, you know, it, it's funny that there's not that many um, wallabies out there. And it's, I got again, I don't mean to you know, to my own home, but like to think that there's not that many over this many years. Like it's you, you know, you. You had to do a lot of hard work to get there, and I'm just—I guess—I'm proud of myself for, you know, the things that I've done to to be able to get there. So yeah, that's no, pretty special. 
It's so special, Mark, and you highlight such a, a an important note that to be a wallaby is something that's earned and it's not given. You can't buy it. So it's a huge credit to your journey thus far. For those joining us, we are chatting to Mark Nawanganitawase, a New South Wales Waratah and wallaby. Mark, you've spoken about your wallaby inclusion in 2022. We know that you recently went to the first camp of the season under Eddie Jones. Now, we are hissing to know what was that camp like and what was your interaction like with Eddie Jones? Because we're keen to know. Um, yeah, it was, I guess it's what everyone would think it is. Um, like, obviously, people have heard things about Eddie, um, or I think they have, um, you know, how he has his certain way of doing things or um, I guess some, some surprises here and there. And I guess, um, you know, this camp that we just had had was, was a, a bit of a, not a shock, but like a, uh, just to make sure you're on your toes kind of thing. So, like, yeah, it was definitely um, – no, it was a good camp. Uh, we definitely worked hard. He made us work hard, you know, coming off um, just a game, what, two days or a day and a half prior. And then a full session on Monday was pretty uh, – was pretty shocked. I was pretty shocked. Um, but, you know, that's that's the way it is um, in those – I guess in those high elite uh, teams and environments. Um, but, yeah, it was cool. Mate, he's um, – Obviously, just being away, uh, around him and the way he, he he speaks and the way he does things, you can tell he's um, you can tell he knows a thing or two about rugby. Um, but also how he he uh, how he gets I don't know his team um, how he gets close or well, not close with the team, but how he gets his team motivated. You can tell he can you know for a, for a small man he he's got a, a lot to say and he, um, you know people listen so. Uh, no, it was pretty cool, um, obviously, to be around there. And there's obviously some new members in the squad at, like, at the time. So it was just uh, enjoyable. And um, I guess just you got to be on your toes. Yeah. <laughs> I, I actually um, – so one of, your, one of your new coaches, Brett Hodgson, I, I played with Brett um, way back in the day. He's a league guy. He's now your defensive coach, I believe, at the Wallabies. Yeah. Any any um, truth to a rumor heard that one of the boys turned up uh, with a Gordon Tallis T-shirt on one day? Is is that true? Because Hodjo is pretty famous for getting dragged over the sideline by Gordon Tallis in a state of origin. <laughs> Did someone oh, wear a, a Gordon Tallis shirt to breakfast one day or something like that? It was on field and they did it to him. They did it to him again. <laughs> they pulled him off the field. Nah. It, was, it was Eddie. It was Eddie. It was Eddie. Eddie was wearing the Gordon Tallis shirt. No oh, that's so iconic. <laughs> Nah, I'm, I'm actually, no, I can't, I can't remember, I can't record anyone wearing it, but gosh, if anyone did that too soon, too soon. <laughs> First camp, ruffle feathers. Mike, you're <laughs> still so keen on the note of um, camp. I guess what was the, what was the toughest thing that you guys did and what was probably the most fun thing that you guys did under Eddie? Um, well, the toughest thing, uh, like, oh, you could obviously, you could say training and stuff like that, but, um. I don't know something different to this in this camp that's um, you know that I've, I've experienced before is we've done a lot of uh, like um, we did a lot of like psychology sessions or mm-hmm. we had uh, a few psychologists in so um, I guess you know that we we were in there for, in meetings also for quite a long time so I don't know to me I was just I kind of found like you know just trying to uh, you lo- you learn to like how long you can like stay in, not stay engaged but like um, just with the mind and stuff like that, like in terms of like fatigue and and um, how you think, 
um, and what fatigue can do to how you think. Um, and I guess for me, in terms of what makes it harder, was just the, you know, all these all these sessions and you know talking and listening, and it, it was just like, uh, like how yeah, just for me, the hardest thing I found was trying to stay engaged and like, um, you know, making sure you didn't clock off and you didn't um, not know what was going on, kind of thing. Just so with your mind, like just with your mind, obviously you have your footy stuff, but then your off-field stuff, like you just want to make sure that your mind's right. Obviously there's things have happened in the past with um, plays and stuff like that. And then it makes you realize how important the mind is um, to a human. Um, so I guess one of those things was, you know, trying to stay engaged and um, uh, make sure your focus is, you know, on the right things and where you can save your focus on fatigue um, in your mind and, and how you can use that, you know, to better your on-field um, performances and things like that, uh, things like that. I guess, yeah, that was the the hardest, not hardest thing, but like hardest thing um, for me, just, you know, try to get used to that because it's something different because obviously usually it's all footy, footy, footy on the field. And then I guess this this new side for the off-field and the mind thing is, which is important, um, something different. So, yeah, just getting used to that would be the hardest thing. And the funnest, if you had to keep, if you just had to name one thing that was the fun thing about camp, what would it be? The funnest, uh, probably the, probably just hit, hit the meetings, his meetings, just the way he's like, he speaks, he's a funny fella, Eddie. Um, <laughs> so he, like he would either be taking the piss out of someone or he'd be saying something funny. So they were pretty funny moments, um, you know, at some of the, the dinners and um, I don't know, the, the morning meetings we had. So yeah, probably that. Love it. Well, Mark, it's been so bloody cool to, to speak to you and hear about your journey thus far and your inclusion in your first camp under Eddie Jones. Before we let you go, we love to run a segment with our guest called Tip On. It's basically 60 seconds of rapid fire questions. You're not meant to think long or hard. Just say the first thing that comes to mind. Would you be down to play? Yeah, of course. Let's do it. And the clock is on. What have you been binging? Uh, Harry Potter. What is your coffee order? Oh, just a cappuccino, two sugars. <laughs> so PGN. Who was your most annoying teammate? Namani Nadolo. Who was your sporting hero? Uh, Israel Falau. What would be your wrestler entrance song? Uh, here comes the boom. What was your favourite movie as a kid? Um, Toy Story. Who in your team is always on their phone? Charlie Gamble. <laughs> What's something you could eat for a month straight? Uh, ice cream. Favorite place you've traveled to? Oh, Italy. Which teammate has the worst fashion sense? Um, Angus Bell. Do you have a hidden talent? Uh, I can do a backflip. Oh. Sound like such a winger. I can do a backflip. I'll just score a try <laughs> and do a black flick yeah. as opposed to try a celebration. That's one day I hope I can just pull out the backflip and just after I scoring a try. So <laughs> oh, we'll hold you to that. We'll keep watching. Next time you score a try, we're going to see a backflip. Oh, wait, we're going to be winning by 50 or so. <laughs> <laughs> well, Mark, thank you very much for joining us on Can You Be More Pacific. It's been great to have you on the show and we wish you the best of luck for the rest of the Super Rugby season and then ongoing for the Wallabies. Appreciate it. Thank you guys very much for having me. That was New South Wales, Waratah and Wallaby, Mark Nwonga Nitawase. You can ask that.
your chance to ask what it's really like to be an elite athlete on Can You Be More Pacific? Sarah, time for us to take on a question in our favourite segment from a listener that is going to be challenging for us. And I think this one's going to be challenging a little bit for you. And I'm going to defer to you quite a bit on this because you're the expert. But (laughs) the question is, are Aussie teams just not good enough in the uh, Super Rugby Pacific? Uh, So this is coming from uh, Tyson. He's from Moana. And uh, yeah, so this has been uh, spoken about before by, uh, it's been mentioned maybe on our show a few times, but the uh, New Zealand teams seem to be far more dominant in the uh, Super Rugby Pacific. Why are Australia not that great? Oh, that's a big question. Well, firstly, thanks, Tyson, for your question. <laughs> Rough one to to answer. But um, look, let's just acknowledge the fact that New Zealand teams are faring much better in Super Rugby Pacific than the Australian sides. And if you look at the wins v losses over the past three years, each year it has dropped as to how many games that Aussie teams can win. There's been conversation around whether Australia needs to reduce the number of teams. Bearing in mind, right now, Australia only has five teams. To reduce that even further means only like the best of the bloody best will be in it. But then you also will lose so many other players that don't necessarily make those those teams. I don't think that the answer is culling it because one, you lose opportunity. Two, yes, we're not doing very well. But how are we going to get better if we try and reduce the amount of teams that we have just to be competitive to suit our mates across the ditch? It doesn't make any sense to me. But I acknowledge... New Zealand are doing much better than us. Why they're doing much better than us, I actually don't know. And having had the experience of playing in New Zealand to playing in Australia, I can testify firsthand that the way that they play is so different to the way that we play. I think something I noted is that Australia is super structured in the way that we play. We, you know, in what areas of the field we want to play and where we want to attack and it's we do this and if it doesn't work, we just revert to that. Whereas I feel as though in New Zealand, they play a lot more eyes up footy. And because of that, I think in the bigger games, they can just run away. If everything else falls to crap, Richard Mwanga will just, you know, razzle dazzle his way through the line and then pick up David Havili running short off him. It's just a different style of play. So I think there are so many conversations. I don't think it's a lack of resources. I just think it's a lack of perhaps um, – just experience and, and, and a clash of game styles. But I do think that Australia is good enough to be there and that is exactly why we are still there. And yes, we are not winning, but trying to take away more players to reduce even uh, sorry to produce even more competitive teams isn't the answer because I know it sounds really cliche, but it's bloody true. You, to be the best, you have to play the best. Yeah, I couldn't agree with more with you in terms of reducing the, um, reducing the number of teams. I don't think that's going to um, enable opportunities for young players to come through. Uh, and if if the Wallabies perform well at the World Cup, then it's kind of this argument dwindles out a little bit because you, you're picking from the Super Rugby sides to make your, your Wallabies side. And a bit of success up at the on the international stage will hopefully quieten a few people down. But one thing that I've, I've heard about New Zealand uh, from Matthew Elliott, one of our um, experts in rugby league on, on the ABC, he often talks about the fact that in New Zealand, every kid is out with the football in hand and, and it's just something they love doing. Like, and I know Australia is a very sporty um, nation as well, but rugby in particular in New Zealand is something that every kid wants to do. Every kid wants to don the all black jersey. So if you've got such an interest in a, and a want to be a, an all black at the grassroots level and grassroots rugby, I'm assuming is pretty strong in New Zealand, then you're going to get lots of talent falling through to the, the super rugby sides and then onto the national side. 
I don't know what the, the state of grassroots rugby is like in Australia because I really don't have any idea. Well, I know it's it, it's quite strong, and I, I wish I actually came prepared with some report <laughs> with the, the most recent annual report to to report on the the participation numbers, which I know has just come out recently, and they have steadily increased. But you highlight such an important note is that in New Zealand, yes, there's many sports, but rugby really is their main sport. Whereas here in Australia, depending on which state you're in also decides which sport is the most popular. Like you can go to Melbourne and that's AFL is the most popular sport. And then you go to Western Australia and it's a different story here in New South Wales, like rugby league probably is, is king of the ring, you know? So there, there are competing sports, which does pull people away from, um, I guess, getting plugged in. So look, to answer your question, Tyson, in short, are super rugby is not good enough? Absolutely not true. They are good enough. They are just not in a position where they're probably as competitive as they could be, but hopefully with, continually just staying in the grind, um, the tide will start to turn. And I tell you what, the day's a lot closer than we think it is. I'm sure it is. I think it will. And look, to all our listeners, if you've got a question, you can send it through to our DMs on Instagram. I'm at Dean Harlitow and Sarah is at Sarah Nengama. Can you be more Pacific on ABC Radio Australia? Oh, my God. You're with Sarah and Dean, talking all things sport across the Pacific. Stick around, we'll spotlight our favourite socials, but up next we chat with Tongan Rugby CEO, Peter Hardy. Joining us today, we're very fortunate to have the CEO of Tonga Rugby, Peter Harding. Peter, thanks for joining us on uh, Can You Be More Pacific? No problems, Dean. No problems. Peter, I'll get you to share with our listeners a little bit about what's happening in the moment in uh, in Tongan Rugby Union in terms of upcoming tournaments or um, yeah, where you are at at the moment. Yeah, we're coming out of a pretty difficult year last year, as you can imagine. You know, volcanoes, um, <laughs> tsunamis. We finally got COVID here, which shut the country down for six months. There was no sport, no school sport, nothing going on. So this year has sort of started off and everyone's in a rush to get a whole bunch of tournaments done and a whole bunch of teams moving so we've at this stage we've got Tonga A heading off uh, early next week to Samoa to play in the Tonga in the A-team tournament. Uh, we've got a women's team which are leaving today to play against a Samoan team before the Moana game on Saturday. Potentially a second game for that team but we're yet to work it out with Moana Pacifica. Uh, we have the Sevens are in um, South Africa for the second Cape Town Challenger Series tournament. They won the first one last week. And um, then uh, there's another tournament. I'm, I'm sort of losing track. <laughs> but uh, then obviously we've got what's happening, the big one coming up later on in the year. But we've got a lot of lot going on before that actually happens. You mentioned the, uh, the challenges of the last few years and then having all these tournaments come um, pretty quickly. How's the preparation been for, for all the teams in terms of, um, I guess, identifying talent, getting them into squads and then preparing them for, for what's coming up? I think uh, what we've tried to do is we, we've got a good um, head of performance, Missy Fanua, so he's top class and we've got a good analyst here. Who's, those guys have been working on this stuff for the last few years. But the direction we're going in is just under uh, identifying and cataloguing uh, under-20s talent at the moment. Um, our first team in the Calitais average age is close to 30. So we've got a big gap in the next level for 2027 and 2031. So on on the island and in other countries, we've got to identify talent that is young enough potentially go to 2031. So they've done a really fantastic job in identifying all the talent we've got. 
Uh, we had two um, under-20s games last year against Samoa, and that gave us an idea what was available in that space. And a majority of those guys will go forward to the 18 competition this year with a good whack of training under their belt and being properly profiled. And, um, yeah, so I, that's that's what we're we're concentrating on youth, probably to set us up for the next 10 years or eight years. Sounds like the pathways are solid and there is talent. Um, I guess in spades, in Tonga, you, you touched on it a little bit, but you have a Tongan women's team heading over to Samoa to play, which we know for the first time has all Tongan women included. What is the landscape of women's rugby right now like in Tonga? Um, well, we've got um, funny women's rugby is... Uh, it's just everyone's so goddamn enthusiastic. <laughs> Women are just falling over and crawling over each other to get involved. So it's like someone's taken the genie out of the bottle. It's, it's amazing. Now, um, everybody wants to be involved, and unfortunately, everybody wants to own it. So that's one thing we've got to control. But um, we've gone from like four women's teams to I think it's 28 or 30 now. Half of those are under 18s. Um, Where our development manager's done a really good job, we've never been able to hook into the schools, <clears throat> never had an agreement with the schools, but now we're getting an agreement together for the high schools and we've got an agreement with the primary schools. So the one thing we've got there is we've probably got 14 girls teams in the schools and 14 senior teams. And it's like, we, we do have, the, there is a target in world rugby. I'm not sure if you know, 40% uh, involvement of females in every level of the sport, administrative, playing, uh, doctors, everything by 2027. Now, I don't know whether we'll reach that, but we'll be going pretty well in a very quick amount of time to reach the target that World Rugby has set or the unions. Uh, as I said, there's, there's there's people everywhere here wanting to be involved. There's people everywhere in Australia, New Zealand and America, Tongan girls everywhere, they all want to be involved in rugby. It, it's the weakness in the system is not their enthusiasm or their work. It's us being able to having the resources to pull them all together. And that is the weakness in the system that we we have to, in the office, try and um, overcome. On that note, how do you um, prepare your girls uh, for, for their big tournaments? Are they pulled into satellite uh, camps or are they brought in um, like a couple of weeks before they're, they're set off to leave? Like what does their, their training setup look like at the minute? Uh, this team was pulled to, has been pulled together locally. Um, the original idea was um, a New Zealand Samoan and New Zealand Tongan team. Now, we put this to the women's committee in the office here and they, they got together and they said, no, we want to send all local girls uh, to give them the opportunity to see how they go. Uh, and to be honest, when you look, okay, well, we will know where they are once they play the Samoan team, exactly where they are. We know the quality in Australia, we know the quality in the US and New Zealand, but we will know exactly how they, where this girl stands. So that was a really good idea. Um, the women, as I said, they've got so much energy, <laughs> it's overpowering sometimes. And they've, and they've organised everything and they've had about four to six weeks of training to get ready. And uh, this is going to set a little bit of a bar to find out where they are. And from that position, then we will pick a, a team from Oceania from multiple countries. Peter, you mentioned before about some of the challenges in terms of resourcing and, and making sure that you can have everything working together and working properly. But I, I can imagine as a, as a CEO, there's quite a few hats that you're wearing at the moment. What's a, what's a day like for yourself um, as a CEO of Tonga Rugby and having to try to bring this all to life? Um, well, you know, like your you, you normal CEO in a probably a proper union, we'd be looking at just finance and strategy. But like, for example, yesterday we're working on girls' visas with the New Zealand High Commission 
Um, we worked on that probably a lot of, during the day. We have, um, I worked with the cabinet office on getting some cabinet submissions through to try and get some money to make sure Tongarei get away. Um, we had meetings on some Ekalitae stuff because we've got games coming through uh, at the end of the year. We'll probably have three weeks minimum in Tonga this year, Ekalitae, and we're playing Australia A for the 50th anniversary of Tonga beating Australia in 73. It's a very, Australia, we're doing it, we've done a deal, Australia A are coming across to play us, so a very big air. So we had um, a few hours in the afternoon on that. Um, and last night, the World Rugby I usually because eight to ten every night is when the northern hemisphere is waking up. So there's a, every night there's Zoom calls, and last night it was on. World Rugby is becoming a very commercially oriented organisation, uh, as because you know it's it's a very sport is a very dense space, so they have to make sure that they've they have the resources to keep the thing going. So we had a meeting on um, with some people in France who are putting together a system for the smaller unions like us to make money. So. That was what the day was yesterday. Sounds like you are constantly busy, which is no surprise given your role. We know that the Challenger Series is currently underway and Tonga came out as some strong contenders in that. What is your take on that series and how the men are faring right now? Oh, we're the best team in that series, which like when, um, and this is like, I, I've worked in a lot of different countries with a lot of different things, but Tonga's probably the, the best talent producer in the world for Per head of cap, you know, like if you look at 100,000 people in this country and the number of people overseas, there's no doubt that if the number of Tongan players playing around the world, there's no doubt that per head of population, we're the best players in the world. Now, we can pull a sevens team together who train full part-time, and this year they've beaten Great Britain, Japan. They beat Argentina the week before they won the next competition. So we're talking about part-time boys who train and drive themselves to training, get paid very little, are beating programs that are I know yesterday I did have a call to Canada because we're looking at um, how much it costs to be on the circuit if we get on. Now, Canada costs 1.2 million US dollars to run their sevens team. Japan spends a million US dollars on their sevens team and we've smashed them in Sydney. <laughs> Great Britain spends more than a million pounds and we beat them. And we just got a bunch of boys, you know, Tongan boys. I mean, it's the same for you guys in Fiji. We, we can pull a team together anywhere in the world at any time and we can do very, very well. Now, these guys have been together a fair amount of time now. They're very well coached and very well managed. And it looks like they're going to give us a massive challenge in trying to find a million US dollars from somewhere. Come on. Um, Any sponsors out there, please contact Peter. <laughs> if we get on the circuit, it, mate, it's not cheap. I know Kenya, I was in Kenya, you know, for the 2016 Olympics, and that cost them £600,000 a year to run that team. It's... Cost a fortune, um, and if we get on the we get on the circuit, I think I resign. <laughs> <laughs> well, Peter, it's uh, it's good to hear that uh, things in terms of rugby union in Tonga are strong, uh, and we wish you all the best with all the upcoming um, competitions that you'll be taking part on, and particularly with the World Cup towards the end of the year. Thanks for joining us on uh, Can You Be More Pacific? Fantastic, mate. Can you be more Pacific? Keeping it social. Now, there have been some awesome posts circulating on the gram. And, Hulla, before I get stuck into mine, I want to throw to you first. What do you find? 
Well, this one comes from the Daily Telegraph uh, Twitter page. So I've got oh, Twitter. so you got Twitter? Yeah. Did you Twitter. have to blow the tus the tus the dust <laughs> the dust <laughs> the dust off the app? You talk about posting on Instagram about my lack of. I don't even remember the last time I wrote a comment on Twitter. On, I don't on actually my... know how to appropriately reply to someone on Twitter. Okay, I, I yeah, I, I can't give you any advice there, Sarah. Sorry. Um, sure. Anyway, the, the Daily Telegraph <laughs> shared a post from the Melbourne Storm in which um, there's an announcement their football manager, Frank Panisi, introduces the chairman, Matt Trippi, gets up um, to announce um, a big signing that the club um, has managed to snare and it's been ongoing for a little while. Have a bit of a listen to, to what it sounds like. There's been a lot of media speculation over the last few weeks around about big players and of course, Big Nass is uh, Nelson Asofa Solomona, who's uh, announced a four-year contract, or they announced a four-year contract post their match the other night uh, on Anzac Day. So that's um, a huge signing for the, the Storm. I love how excited the boys got got and how they got around him as well. That's really special. Yeah, obviously he means a lot to them. They care a lot, and uh, it was a, a good big group hug. Big group hug. They can you... they can give me a group hug. Now, congratulations, <laughs> Big Ness. What do you got, Sarah? Mine comes from the Super Rugby Instagram, and it showcases the Fijian draw boys in the gym having a bit of a self led uh, dance routine, and the vibes are high. You just can't help but bop your head to it. And just hearing those uh, those giggles, like, it's so Fijian, don't there's, you reckon? There's some good moves in there too. You should take all, note. All of them. <laughs> You've never seen me dance. I've seen you walk. <laughs> Fair point. <laughs> so, yes, if you want to have a geese of that, you can look at the Super Rugby Instagram where there's a whole bunch of posts actually going in the lead up to Culture Round this week. Pacific on ABC Radio Australia and ABC Sport Digital Radio. Plenty of sport coming up this weekend. Sarah, what are you looking forward to? So the Rugby Sevens Challenger Series continues this weekend. Tonga came out on top and were clear, clear uh, competitors. But the winner of the men's competition, which will be decided on aggregate points of the two events, will enter a 14 playoff at the London Sevens in May, together with the teams placed 12th to 14 after 10 rounds of the HSB World Rugby Sevens Series. The winner of the playoff will achieve the coveted Sevens World Series 2024 status, so a lot to play for. Yeah, very big to get on the World Series, no doubt. So all competing nations uh, aiming to do their best. What about in Super W, Sarah? Some uh, big games this week? It's finals time, baby. The final four teams have now locked in their fixtures. So it's a 1v4, 2v3. So the New South Wales Waratahs, my beloved team, will be hosting Fijiana Drua and the Queensland Reds will take on the ACT Brumbies. So whoever wins from each of these fixtures will go on to a grand final fixture, which we're holding Townsville next week. But what's really cool to note is that this is a doubleheader. It'll be taking place at Concord Oval um, this Sunday. So if you're around, get around it. I think there's a lot um, a lot of exciting rugby to be happening and I actually can't wait to take on the and hopefully send them back home. That would be nice. That would be nice. It's the you. grand final. Not nice. This them, is last year's grand yeah, final rematch. This is retribution. I know you took them down in the in the regular season, but yes. you get a chance in in a big match to 
push them aside as you go through to the final. Yes, because we've never not featured in a grand final. So this is um this is a really big fixture for us. And Brumbies as well. They really shocked me that they're there. But let's go, Pessy Polo. Let's tell what you and your heckle horses have. <laughs> Go the Tars. Uh, other good news in, in rugby, the Tongan women's rugby team will be travelling to New Zealand to play against Samoa uh, this weekend. It's a curtain raiser for the Moana Pacifica match. Uh, this is great that um, it's the first ever women's 15 to be consisting of only Tongan players. So this is it's huge for them. And also on cultural round to have Tonga and Samoa taking each other on before the Moana Pacifica. And that's on representation. It's just so cool to be able to know that Tonga can put a whole team together and send them... Um, Across to Samoa, it's going to be hugely exciting. We know that Tongans and Samoans are equally passionate about rugby, so no doubt this will make a spectacle for all that are there on the day. It certainly will. And I just mentioned it's cultural round in the Super Rugby this week, round 10. Uh, no doubt we're going to see lots of uh, colour on display, uh, lots of um, cultural performances pre-match and some cool jerseys. Jerseys. And also, keep an eye out because this Husky voice did the cultural round promo. So just, you heard it here really? first. Yeah, I did it. Oh, I can't wait to hear that. <laughs> Is it playing now? Is it is it already out? No, it'll they'll play it first uh, tomorrow, so Friday. Through the stadium. It's going to be ringing through the stadiums. I'm not sure exactly, but it should be on telly. So Friday and Saturday, I'm told it'll be played. So you'll hear this husky voice. I'm sure I'll be listening. I'm sure I'll be watching TV. Then like, oh, where's Sarah? Oh, Sarah's around. Sarah's somewhere. in my house. <laughs> That's scary if I am. <laughs> Rugby League and in the Ron Massey Cup round seven, the Silk Tails will be taking on the ride Eastwood Hawks. That's at um, the Hawks home ground, TG Milner. I think it's in Eastwood. So um, good luck to the Silk Tails. It's been a bit of an up and down year. What's your brother doing? Not sure. doesn't answer my calls. <laughs> Come on, Wes, answer your sister's calls and uh, let's get the silk tails going strong. Q Cup, round six, the Hunters take on the Mackay Cutters in Port Moresby. So returning um, back to a home game for the Hunters. Hopefully they can get it done in front of what's no doubt going to be a, a strong home crowd. The Cutters very close to, to PNG up there in the far north of Queensland. So um, they'll probably have some support themselves. And in the NRL round nine, uh, there's some big matches, but the ones that I'm really looking forward to, the Broncos taking on the Rabbitohs in the Adam Reynolds Cup on Friday. This will be this will be a big one. Obviously, he loves playing against his former team, and he's had a great season so far. And the Broncos equally had a, have had a great season. Big win against the Eels last week up in Darwin, um, and it's a decent turnaround for them. That would have been a tough trip going up to Darwin. Other matches to look forward to, the Raiders, who have sort of rebounded after a lackluster start. Now they're up against the, the Dolphins, or they're playing at home to the Dolphins on Saturday. This is... Um, uh, a big clash. The Dolphins bounced back victory last week against the Titans that we spoke about earlier. And the Warriors taking on the Roosters. I've highlighted this one because the Warriors um, were decimated by injuries and um, they've got um, plenty going on with their squad in terms of their numbers. So they, they need to um, come together. They're going to have a lot of players playing um, that probably haven't played a lot of first grade this year, but they're working really well under their coach, their new coach, I should say, Andrew Webster, and they're coming against the Roosters who have had a, a tough season. Um, Pretty and, up and down season themselves. Yeah, but they got a good win on Anzac Day against mm-hmm. the Dragons, hard fought. But I think both teams will be a bit battered and bruised, so it's going to be a, um, a fairly tough game for both. Lots to look forward to. Lots to look forward to. Now, don't forget you can catch Andrew Moore and the Grandstand Rugby League team calling all the games on Radio Australia. Unfortunately, that brings us to the end of the show, but don't worry, we'll be back same time, same place next week. Don't forget, you can find all our episodes on the Radio Australia website or wherever you listen to podcasts. More there. Let's all look here. Can you be more Pacific? An ABC Sport production for ABC Radio Australia. This program has been funded by the Department of Foreign Affairs and Trade.